You went to med school so that you could help people. And then you traveled to a far-off place where people desperately needed that help. But what you found when you got there were not stark differences, but universal truths. You journeyed to the other side of the world, only to find yourself on common ground. You're listening to 2233, a podcast of Exchange Stories. It was an incredibly lengthy journey to get out to the place I was doing work. It required five distinct flights to get there and then another six hours on a really crowded hot bus and then another harrowing 30 or so minutes on a motorbike out to the place that I was working, this small town by the coast. This week, protecting for the future in the face of a deadly pandemic, being surrounded by broom-wielding children, and showing off one's fishing prowess, or not. Join us on a journey from North Carolina to Vietnam to help people deal with a deadly disease. It's 2233. We report what happens in the United States, warts and all. These exchanges shaped who I am. When you get to know these people, they're not quite like you. You read about them. They are people very much like ourselves. And oh, that's what we call cultural exchange. Ooh, yes. Hi, I'm Josh Glasser. I work here at the State Department in the Office of International Health and Biodefense. Um, I was part of the U.S. Uh, student program to Vietnam in 2007-2008 under the auspices of Fulbright. And I was working with people living with HIV-AIDS and their families as part of that program. And I found myself before long in sitting in living rooms, uh, sipping tea on wood furniture, talking with grandparents and parents and kids uh, about what life was like for them uh, with someone in the household living with HIV AIDS. And on some level, the experience could not have been more different or removed from my lived experience. I had grown up in a town in North Carolina. It had been nothing like this place at all. Um, But having spent some time there, Uh, Talking with some of the folks and understanding some of the things that they were concerned about, there were a number of universal truths that emerged. Um, One was a a concern for the future well-being and economic security of their children. And now as a new dad, I'm really getting a firsthand view of why that is so critical and important and why that is indeed so universal. Second is uh, that they were often making sense of a situation that was confusing and not entirely within their control. At the time, my own dad was battling cancer and it was really a confusing time in my own life. And so I really identified with and recognized what they were saying and, and going through in that, in that respect. Um, but the third thing, and this was, I think, really what perhaps sticks with me most on a day-to-day basis, was that no matter how stressed or bleak their situations were, um, they were all still thinking about tomorrow, still thinking about what lay ahead, still thinking about the future. And I thought that was an incredible lesson in, in resilience um, and personal determination and how um, people can come through the most adverse circumstances. Um, and so I guess my, my takeaway from all this experience is that you can go to the other side of the world and still find yourself standing on common ground. We were um, visiting a family 
Um, unfortunately, the the middle generation, the mom and dad, were were no longer around, um, but the grandparents and, and kids were still around in the household. And we were really talking through things that were difficult and challenging about life and something that continued to come up again and again was that there were no real economic opportunities, no ways to make money, to make ends meet. Um, and obviously an incredible uh, challenge for, for any family and for families in these circumstances, you could see why that was really forefront in their minds. Um, but I was struck though, as we kind of clicked through the different options of what sort of income generating activities that uh, might be make sense for them, that having the kids still be able to go to school was remarkably important. So it wasn't simply a matter of what would make the most money or what would uh, erase the debts most rapidly, which you know, to me was incredibly important. And I could see why that would be first and foremost. But people in the end were, were not willing to sacrifice uh, the future of these small kids, maybe elementary age kids, uh, to get out of their immediate jam. Uh, the, the role of school, the role of continuing to pursue their education uh, to hopefully have a better life uh, was still incredibly important. And uh, in fact, uh, it was uh, a primary concern. Uh, and that was really striking to me in terms of, uh, as I was saying earlier, about the, the importance of uh, thinking about tomorrow, about being resilient, about uh, looking to the future, no matter uh, how stressed or, or bleak the situation might be. Um, I thought that was a really excellent example of that, where grandparents were looking at kids and saying, we need to, to think about their future and what lies ahead for them as well. So another excursion I had into the community was to visit a, a school. And when I arrived at the school, uh, the children that day were were practicing uh, manual labor as one of the parts of the curriculum. Uh, and so when I pulled up at the school, the children all raced out again, uh, st- sticking out like a sore thumb as I usually was. Uh, and uh, all of them nonetheless had these brooms in their hands. So I was suddenly surrounded by these uh, tiny children, uh, about half my height, uh, all wielding brooms. And yeah, at first it was kind of a jarring experience, you know, this kind of uh, group uh, with uh, sticks and what is going on. And, and then I kind of realized what was, was happening and uh, realized that it was uh, mostly, well, entirely uh, a matter of people, of the kids coming out and wanting to you know, be curious and be kids and be welcoming and, and friendly. Uh, but still to this day kind of have that memory of all of a sudden finding myself surrounded by a, a, a flash mob of children wielding brooms and uh, just the, the sort of the curiosity that uh, I inspired, the sort of uh, interest um, and the, the way I could sort of bring uh, almost laughter to people because it was so out of place and out of uh, the, the usual comfort zone. So one part of my Fulbright experience was learning not only about how families lived in their homes and their backgrounds and their stories, but also 
the environment in which they lived, the community, the broader livelihoods that they adopted. And one day they took me down to this beach uh, where people were fishing and asked if I wanted to join in. And I wasn't really a fisher person from back home, but thought, what the heck, I'll, I'll give it a try. Um, apparently, though, fishing there is not the same as here, where you might have a fishing pole and cast it into the ocean. No, no. Instead, there are these giant nets uh, and people strap them around their waist and kind of tug of war style line up on the beach and pull the net in literally by walking backwards uh, into the sand. Uh, so they asked me to, to join the line uh, to strap on a net and uh, to, to pull with the rest of the group uh, as we tug this enormous net in out of the sea. Uh, it was amazing for a few different reasons. One was just the back-breaking labor that's involved in, in something as simple as collecting fish for dinner or to sell and really gave a sense of why uh, for people living with HIV AIDS there would be some major limitations on the livelihoods that were available to them. Um, another piece though was the, uh, the just the sheer amount of effort that was required to bring in what in the end was just a fairly small number of fish. Uh, and as soon as the net was on shore, there was a real scramble to get what fish were available and uh, place them in baskets and uh, take them off to market or take them home to eat. Um, the final thing though, I think was uh, remarkable about it was this feeling of being on a, a very different world, a cl clearly a very long way from home. Uh, not only because the type of labor that was involved uh, was totally foreign to me and anything that I had experienced before, uh, but also because part of the spectacle of the day apparently was my participation in this activity. Um, people came up, uh, many photos were taken, uh, many comments were made about my uh, pu pulling skill or lack thereof, and uh, it really drove home that uh, I was part of the uh, the attraction, sort of a spectacle on the beach that day. Um, perhaps one of the things I, I take from that experience is that um, though uh, we think we are going in, into these places and to, um, to be there and to, to help and to support, uh, it's also quite an un unusual experience for people in, in many communities like this to see a foreigner uh, and it is kind of a, a shocking experience uh, for, for people locally um, and that, that culture shock can work in, in both directions. I think we certainly think about Fulbright as a way to get people out of their comfort zones and to get people to do things that they're not accustomed to doing and certainly that was the case for me. Um, but also it was a, a case where the community was uh, learning about and, and seeing someone that was very different from anyone that they saw on a typical day and I think um, drove home a lot of the uh, reverse concepts of culture shock and uh, acceptance and diversity for them. Well, anytime you're working on something that involves kids, you obviously have have to take the long view. And I think it was a great example that there's a, obviously an immense amount of need uh, out there. And there's a lot of uh, desire to address you know, poverty and, and development. And those are incredibly important uh, concerns in their own right. But when you start to think about in terms of the kids and the kids' future and what 
will be able to happen in their lives moving forward. It, it forces you to take a long view. It forces you to think about sustainability and and to think about the the broader uh, processes that need to take place over years and decades, and not simply you know what will address the problem right in front of your face. Um, as a you know 21, 22 year old, when you're out in the field and you think, okay, I'm going to solve all these problems tomorrow because uh, that's you know where you are in life. But then you know having these conversations really recenters your thinking to a broader lens and a, a different way of thinking about the world. You know, admittedly, what I'm doing now is, is somewhat similar to, but uh, a bit different from uh, the, the work I was doing in the field and in, in Vietnam. But I, uh, I do think there is a certain common thread. Um, I think, you know, when you're having a, a really difficult coordination or negotiation session and trying to find common ground with people from other countries to advance U.S. interests, but also to find mutual uh, success stories that we can all kind of get behind and use to advance um, diplomacy, it's useful to call back to these types of memories that, yes, after all, families are families are families. And uh, no matter where you come from or where you are, uh, you can often find uh, mutual interests and common understanding with, with other people. I think that's um, probably the biggest lesson I've brought home from Fulbright and something I hope uh, others will be able to as well. is produced by The Collaboratory, an initiative within the U.S. State Department's Bureau of Educational and Cultural Affairs, better known as ECA. My name's Christopher Wurst. I'm the director of The Collaboratory. 2233 is named for Title 22, Chapter 33 of the U.S. Code, the statute that created ECA. And our stories come from participants of U.S. government-funded international exchange programs. In this episode, Josh Glasser told us about his experiences as a Fulbright Scholar working on health issues in Vietnam. For more information about ECA exchange programs, including the Fulbright Scholarship, check out eca.state.gov. We'd also love to hear from you. You can write to us at ecacollaboratory at state.gov. That's E-C-A-C-O-L-L-A-B-O-R-A-T-O-R-Y at state.gov. And you can subscribe to 2233, and we, we actually encourage you to we we really want you to subscribe to 2233 and you can do that wherever you find your podcasts special thanks this week to josh for his candor and his dedication to helping save lives around the world manny Pereira did the interview and i edited this segment Featured music during Josh's segment was Bafflehead by Chad Crouch and Blues and Sea by the Art Tatum, Benny Carter, Louis Belson Trio. Music at the top of each episode is Sebastian by How the Night Came, and end credit music is Two Pianos by Tagir Lius. Until next time.